All right, welcome in episode 161 of the Hawk Reds podcast. I'm Travis Jadon, sponsored by Midtown Sports Grill, Hawk Reds podcast. Title sponsor here is Midtown Sports Grill, the number one sports bar in Midtown Savannah. Catch them at www.midtownsportsgrill.com. Facebook, Instagram as well. 4521 Habersham Street. Daily lunch specials open seven days a week, 11 a.m. to midnight. Call ahead your to-go orders, 912-349-6350. Like I said, check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Check out live music on Wednesdays, trivia on Thursdays, sports on all the days. Midtown Sports Grill, the title sponsor here on Hot Grits. Check them out. All right, let's get after it for a 161st time. Hot Grits Podcast. I hate LeBron James. When God created Adam and Eve, the next thing he did was yell at the referee. But first, some sports. All right, welcome in episode 161 of the Hot Ritz Podcast. I'm Travis Stradon. We are coming to you on a Wednesday this week. Late night recording here after the Braves lost for a second game in a row to the Oakland Athletics. So for those of you who don't think I who think I don't grind for you. Uh, I just stayed up and watched the Braves lose 2-1 to one to the Oakland Athletics on a Tuesday night, and I'm now recording alone to talk to you about it. Uh, not, yeah, n- you know, not many more depressing things than talking about a 2-1 to one loss. To 12-45 Oakland, they've won 12 games. Two of them have come against the Atlanta Braves. By the time you're listening to this, it's probably during or just before the Braves end their three-game set with Oakland. They cannot wait to get out of Oakland, I'm sure. Uh, 3.40 Eastern time first pitch, I think, on Wednesday afternoon. Listen, it didn't go well the first two games for the Bravos. They called up Mike Soroka for game one, and he pitched okay, like great, great, uh, great story. Um, you know, whatever you want to do with that, like it's like, you know, this Oakland Athletics team is on pace for 130 losses. They lost, okay? It's nice to see Soroka get back out there. Um, it'll be nice to have him in the rotation if he sticks. All that good stuff. But, I, you know, this isn't a feel-good pod here. It can't be. It can't be. When you lose a series to Oakland, On the road, where you've been so good this year, um, you know, the first game, you can make the, the argument about the time zones. Oh, they shouldn't have made the Braves play on Sunday night baseball. And then have to, and then, and then they had to ride a plane across the country, which is a different time zone. Miss me with it, man. They're pro baseball players. And not only that, they're a pretty good pro baseball club. 
I thought. Okay, this is not the Washington Nationals or the Miami Marlins. By the way, your second place, Miami Marlins. It's not the Reds, not the Royals. This is the worst team in baseball and the worst team of our era. And the Braves are a game away from having been swept for a third time this year. Uh, They, you know, they... I guess there's some positives here. The pitching has been solid. Bryce Elder, another quality start for him. That's seven quality starts for Bryce Elder uh, in 11 outings. He's 11 for 11 in terms of going at least five innings. He didn't get the loss. Rysel Iglesias got the loss. uh, And for Atlanta, it wasn't a blown save because the game was one-to-one going into the ninth on Tuesday night. But he lost it for him. Their closer lost it for him. Iglesias has been going pretty well. He's been going all right. He's been going all right. But if you think about this, since May 15th, since May 15th, the Braves have had two saves. They've had two saves. Either they're winning by too much, they're losing by too much, or they blow the save. But the closer's role is anything but, uh, I think it's anything but a weapon at this point. And the bullpen itself has problems. They're reaching desperation time. And you saw that just before the game on Tuesday. The Braves called up right-handed pitcher, their number four prospect, and a guy who's been lighting up the minor leagues, A.J. smith Shaver. I think is his last name is how you pronounce it. S-H-A-W-V-E-R. That means his initials are yes, ass. Okay? So if he's good, we call him ass with gas, or we call him ass gas, or we call him gas ass, or we call him gas with an extra A. A lot of ways we can go with this. If he's bad, I think he goes from being ass to being butt. We just start calling him butt. I'm interested to see how he pitches. He was 2-1 and one with a 1.09 Ernie over 33 innings. Rome, Mississippi, and Gwinnett. So he started this year in the Sally League in high A Rome. And now he's up in the big leagues. And it's partially due to his success, to his lighting it up. And, and, and I'm really excited for a lot of you guys to see this guy pitch. He's got the delivery. It sort of reminds me of a little Sonny Gray-ish. Gray-ish. It's, he, it's not the statue of it, but it's like a real succinct delivery. Not the overhand, not, not like a long overhand delivery, just real compact. Real compact. And point blank, he just doesn't give up a lot. Not a lot of hits, not a lot of homers, not a lot of runs, not a lot of walks. Doesn't give up a lot. But he's going to start out the bullpen. The Braves optioned Lucas Lukey. Uh, I think they are trying to pass him through waivers now. He's hasn't been good on the left side. But but Ass is a uh, righty. He's a righty. He's going to pitch out of the pen. You'll remember Max Fried did the same thing when they called him up at the beginning of his career. He was used oftentimes out of the bullpen. But 
look, uh, you know, we could stay in the bullpen if we want, but the fact is that this Atlanta Braves offense is going to have to carry the team. I mean, like it's becoming more and more evident. The starters are there, but the Braves bullpen in the month of May has almost a five earned run average. It's no coincidence that the Braves are 14 and 14 in May. They're now three and 15 when they score three runs or less. Three and 15. So you, the Braves offense can't rely on the every now and then two to one win like what Oakland got. They got to go out and mash. And that causes a lot of pressure, especially come playoff time. Playoffs. So that needs to be fixed. They're not that great in close games. They're 13 and 10 in games decided by two runs or less. If Oakland beats Atlanta on Wednesday afternoon, Braves will have accounted for 23% of Oakland's wins. 23% of their wins. This is only the second time they've ever lost a series to Oakland. They went one and two in 2005. They need to win Thursday just to match that. I don't know if they've ever been swept by Oakland. Marcelo Zuna starting to hit. That's a plus. I'm not going to do that bit, that segment again. Um, but look, I'm glad that Mike Soroka is back. It just feels a little sour. You know, I heard a lot of people say, you know, there was good news that Mike Soroka was back and it was emotional and all this stuff. I don't know, man. I'm just trying to win the game. Okay, if Mike Soroka's there or not, I just want to win the game. And guess what? June 1st is here. That means we got to look at the standings. The Braves are only four games up on the Mets. They're four games up on the Fish. They have the same record as the Arizona Diamondbacks. 32 and 23. This number was shocking to me. The Braves are 12 and 5 this season against the NL East. They're 20 and 18 against every other division. 20 and 18 against every other division. They can't beat up on the NL East and and only the NL East all year. I know they haven't played the Mets that often. I know they've only played one with the Phillies, one set with the Phillies. But Look, they got to start figuring this shit out. They can't just go around losing two of three to the worst team in baseball. When Oakland scored seven runs in game one, it was the most runs they've scored all year. They've won two in a row heading into Thursday's game. It's only the second two-game winning streak they've had all season. Uh, It's not going well. The Braves are 10-12 and versus the American League. 10-12. and The only run they got against left-handed pitcher who they made look like Cy Young, J.P. Sears. 
J.P. Sears started for Oakland on Tuesday. Kevin Pillar was the only homer. A solo Jimmy from Kevin Pillar. I don't know, man. It doesn't feel right, but you can't really complain when they're 32 and 23 and leading the division by four games. But it just feels like stagnant. It feels like, and the bullpen losses is what really, really hurts you. Braves bullpen responsible for 12 losses right now. Okay? It's Memorial Day. They are The Braves bullpen already has 12 losses. That's not good. Especially when you're counting on Bryce Elder, Chuck Morton, and Spencer Strider. And then you name it. Schuster's going on Thursday. Hearing good things about Freed. I don't know, man. They need to figure it out. They need to figure it out. It seems like almost everyone in the lineup's hitting. Michael Harris is finally starting to get a knock here and there. Olsen, Riley starting to pick it up. I think before Tuesday's game, Riley had a 12-game hitting streak. Hitting 383 during that 12-game span. Before Tuesday's game, he's picking it up. Matt Olson's picking it up. Sean Murphy's been solid. Acuna, obviously, at the top has been good. But they're losing. They're losing all of a sudden. And look, it's not just in Oakland. They're 14 and 14 in the month of May. They're 20 and 18 versus every other team outside of the National League East. There are things you can point to without really looking that far to see some problems with the Braves. And I know this right now if I match them up in a best of five series against a number of National League teams, I'm not taking the Bravos. I don't know that I'd take them over the Phillies, I definitely wouldn't take them over the Dodgers. I definitely wouldn't take them. Well, I'll say this. I definitely wouldn't take them over the Dodgers in the National League. I would consider the Brewers. And I think I'd like the Phillies. In the American League, God help us. Baltimore, Tampa Bay, New York, Houston, L.A., Seattle. All of those teams, Texas. All of those teams I like better than the Braves. So, you know, like, it's a long season. But when you're losing games like this, and we know that it can come down to one game, like last season it did, these things will come back to bite you, and this is just not what great teams do. Good teams don't lose to Oakland. Average teams don't lose to Oakland. Really, if you're an organized baseball club, you don't lose to Oakland. And we'll hear about how it's early, how it's a late trip, how it's early in the season, how it was a late trip, how there was only 8,000 people in the stands announced. How the Braves have been in first place since 
April 3rd. All of that's fine and well, but it's coming down the pipe. Things are going to come to roost. You're going to have to go to Arizona, who has the same record as you, June 2nd through the 4th. Then you come home and face the Metropolitans for threes, June 6th, 7th, and 8th. So they need to win the series in Arizona, and God, man, they need to win Thursday in Oakland. Got to figure it out. Got to figure it out if you're Atlanta. Maybe the shaver, maybe ass, the addition of ass in the bullpen, maybe that helps. Let's hope so for the Bravo's sake. John Carr. John Carr Real Estate with Seaport Real Estate in Savannah is a sponsor here on the Hot Grids Podcast, and he is your guy if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Savannah area. If there was a, a Hot Grids Podcast Real Estate Agent of the Year, John Carr would be three-time champ of that award. So call him, text him today, tell him we sent you, 912-228-0916. All right, NBA playoffs now. I mean, obviously we have to talk about these NBA playoffs. I don't know where to begin with the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics series. Uh, Talk about, as a Celtics fan, it couldn't have gotten much worse after a 3-0 deficit. They fight all the way back for a Game 7 letdown where they just got annihilated by the 8-seed Miami Heat. So now it's Miami versus Denver in the NBA Finals. Raise your hand if you had Miami and Denver in the NBA Finals. Uh, Not only going into the season, but before the playoffs. I mean, nobody had them. What, What Miami is doing is honestly unprecedented in the modern era, and they're doing it with a bunch of with Jimmy Butler and a bunch of nobodies. With Jimmy Butler and a bunch of nobodies. But they beat the Boston Celtics, who have plenty of problems moving forward, including like for me, the Celtics have to fire Joe Missoula. That guy stinks. He stinks. In game six, he almost cost them with the worst challenge of all time. Like that would have been the worst challenge ever. At the end, where it turns the Jimmy Butler two-point foul on Al Horford into a three-point shot. Uh, Butler makes all three free throws, of course. And then the Celtics get the timeout. And and luckily, Derek White tips it in with literally a tenth of a second left on the clock to force a game seven back in Boston where the Celtics have to win, right? They have to win that game on Memorial Day on Monday night. But they didn't. They got shelled. And, you know, they can blame it on – Jason Tatum's ankle if they want, but nobody wants to hear about a sore ankle unless you're a LeBron James fan, you know, who has an injury every single time he's eliminated, he'll come up with an injury. Now I didn't hear, I didn't hear Jason Tatum making excuses, but you know, basically the national media um, pundit, I mean, and a lot of people on social media period were saying that that, caused the Celtics to lose the game. I mean, I think it impacted the game, duh. Like the Celtics' best player, probably the best player in the series, or he's supposed to be, um, hurts his ankle first time down the floor, basically. And the Celtics were a shell of themselves after that, and Jalen Brown was nowhere to be found. 
nowhere to be found. So the Boston Celtics, who have been to five of the last six Eastern Conference Finals, now have to ask themselves, what's next? Because this can't keep happening. And you don't see this a lot. Like You don't see a, a sustained run atop a conference or a league in, in the three major sports, pro baseball, pro basketball, pro football. You know, we haven't really seen lately, last 20 years, a team stay atop the conference for a long while without winning a title. And it has been a long while. 2018, remember, they're up 3-1, to one, the Celtics are, on the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, and they lose that series to LeBron James. That was when Tatum and Brown were young. Five years later, they're losing to an eight seed in the Eastern Conference Finals by losing game seven at home. Uh, and you think about it, if they do fire Joe Mazzulla, which I believe they should, and I really said that before game seven, no matter what happens, this guy is not ready to be a head coach in the NBA. He is certainly not ready to be a head coach of the Boston Celtics. I mean, nobody thinks that this guy looks like the Boston Celtics head coach. Nothing he says, nothing he does. You know, it, it's just, it's a shame that a team like that has to worry about the coaching as much as they do, but they do. We called it going into that series, right? We said Eric Spolstra obviously has the advantage. No one was asking Missoula to be Spolstra. Just asking to maybe adjust. And when the, when the Miami Heat went to a zone in, in the second half, most notably, uh, the Celtics couldn't figure it out. How in the hell does a professional basketball team not figure out a zone defense? That's coaching. I mean, of course you want your players as pros to be able to know how to beat a zone. Zones, because there were several different types of zones. And, and credit to the Heat. Like, I don't want this to come off as like, oh, the Heat didn't deserve it. They were better than the Celtics from start to finish. From start to finish, they were better than the Celtics. You know, and you can make an argument that the Celtics weren't ready to play game seven and then they got punched in the mouth and then they weren't ready to respond. That's coaching. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I, I think Jalen Brown, to give him a max contract if you're the Celtics, I just don't know about that. I mean, he is a max contract player, but he's not working out in Boston. He just flat out can't dribble. He can't dribble. In, in a series where you're playing the same team four, five, six, seven times, a.k.a. the playoffs, they figure it out. It happened last year. Oh, wait, it's not about his right hand or his left hand. Jalen Brown can't dribble, period. Is he a good player? Yeah. It's really remarkable that he's as good of a player as he is, despite the fact that he can't dribble. So they got questions. Uh, Miami doesn't have questions. They got an NBA Finals awaiting them. Game one Thursday night in Denver. Game two on Sunday. Uh, preseason line here, Heat plus 300. Nuggets minus 380 to win. 
the NBA Finals. Um, I, you know, you would want to pick the Heat. And they might be a popular pick. But I'm not going to do it. Because what they're doing is unprecedented. What they have done is unprecedented. But this is a different animal. They're matching up against a team in the Nuggets that has looked every bit the one seed that they are in the Western Conference. From start to finish, Denver has been the best team in the NBA. You know, and there, there were moments where people didn't know about the Nuggets, but look, they are the best team in the NBA, and Miami was the worst scoring team in the league. After Miami lost that, that play-in game to Atlanta, seems like five years ago, they lost that playoff game to the Hawks, and they had to beat the Bulls just to advance to be able to face the one-seed Bucks. Before that game against the Bulls, Miami was 200-1 to to win the NBA title. They're now in the NBA Finals. They're four games away from winning the thing. This postseason, 18 games they've played. 13-5 and versus the spread. They've won nine times outright as an underdog. They've won nine times outright as an underdog. That is insane. I can't expect that to keep happening. I just can't. And, you know, the eight seed thing is people want to point to the Knicks as the last eight seed to reach the NBA finals. What was it 98, early 2000s? But that team was like six games back from the one seed. Okay. They also had a bunch of good players. And and they also had one of the highest payrolls in the league that Knicks team did. This Miami Heat team has arguably one top 10 player, Jimmy Butler. I wouldn't argue that. I think he's a bona fide top 10 player. But they have nobody else. Bam Adebayo is not a top 10 player in the league, period. Their second best player is Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin, by the way, leads the Eastern Conference Finals in scoring. He scored the most points as an undrafted guy in an NBA Conference Finals series ever in the modern era. Modern era. Modern draft era. So what he did is not, in my opinion sustainable again in another series has Miami proven me wrong before yeah but I also said going into the playoffs that Miami scared the hell out of me if they ever figured out how to shoot they were going to be good they were going to be dangerous MVP odds for the NBA finals which again start Thursday game two Sunday Thursday Sunday both in Denver Jokic minus 330 Butler plus 340, Murray plus 800, and then a long shot here, Caleb Martin plus 4,500 to win the NBA Finals MVP. Uh, from an ESPN report, uh, the, the potential for Tyler Hero to return to the Miami Heat lineup 
uh, in Vegas's opinion, won't affect the NBA title odds, the series winner odds. Uh, now, if he returns, it'll probably affect the game by game lines, but it won't affect the odds, which again, Miami plus 300 to win this series right now. They have arrived in the NBA finals as an eight seed. They're going to play the one seed from the other side and nobody's going to watch it. Nobody's going to watch it. All right, moving on now, college football, the SEC football coaches meetings this week in Destin, Florida. I love coaches meetings. I love this stuff. We have uh, two clips here, one from Nick Saban, one from Kirby Smart. Uh, headlines coming out of the coaches meetings. The SEC is still trying to figure out, is it an eight-game schedule? Is it a nine-game schedule? where you have two rivals or three rivals. So right now, Georgia's rivals are, um, you'd have Auburn. Georgia has Auburn, Florida, and hmm, Tennessee are the three. But if they go to one division, like with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas, the idea is, are you going to play eight conference games or nine conference games? For me, I don't really care, and neither does Kirby Smart. Uh, here's a clip from him. Here's Kirby on the eight or nine game schedule when he's asked about it. Uh, he says, quote, most overrated thing in the world. Here's Kirby, and then he's asked about, or, or actually, I should say this. Kirby, in his clip, talks about the eight or nine game schedule about not caring about it. And then he does talk about stuff that he does care about. So it opens with him talking about tampering NIL recruiting and the addition of transfer portal and all that kind of stuff. So we'll start with that. And then I believe it's Mike Griffin that asked him the question about the schedule. Here's Kirby smart at the sec coaches meetings on Tuesday. Disturbing, it's uh, upsetting, but I really, I don't know. People want to blame the coaches for the tampering. A lot of time it's the player who is negotiating or is looking for greener pastures. Um, and when they do that, sometimes they create the, the tampering. You know, it goes both ways. Um, but I, I think it's hard to police. And look, we have not been a major portal team, so I'm not, I, I could be sitting here telling you something that those 12, 13 other guys, 14 other guys come in here and say it's a major issue. I'm not trying to go out and get anybody else. I want to get a kid from high school and develop him. Now, ultimately, if we have a deficiency somewhere or we have a spot available, then we'll look to use the portal, but it's not something we've done uh, a lot. Kirby, on the uh, eight to nine game thing, what's the biggest variable for you in Georgia in the whole debate? The most overrated conversation there was. <laughs> Four years. Everybody, All right, so that's Kirby Smart talking at the SEC coaches' meetings. I, I'm with him. I, I really couldn't care less if Auburn's played every other year. It's like you said, you're going to play them three times. For me, it's more important that we figure out how to get the two best teams from the SEC to the SEC title game every year. That, that's the biggest issue that Greg Sankey and the SEC coaches need to work out. I think by the end of this week, by the end of these coaches' meetings, they're going to have figured out the schedule thing. When Nick Saban was at the podium, 
He was talking about some other stuff because he was asked about some other stuff. You'll remember the Alabama baseball coach. You'll remember the Alabama baseball coach fired a myth gambling allegations, gambling infractions. Um, And then also Brandon Miller, the Alabama basketball player and likely the number two or number three pick in in the upcoming NBA draft. Brandon Miller uh, arrested or involved in, he wasn't arrested, involved in a murder somehow and a gun that was linked to a murder from a former player. You guys will remember that from a month or two ago. So some stuff's been going on on the Alabama campus, but Saban asked about it at the coaches' meetings, was asked about NIL gambling and stuff like that. And then he's asked, I believe also by Mike Griffin, uh, in the second part of this, if things like releasing uh, an injury report like the NFL does every week, kind of making it more transparent to the public, who's playing, who's not, how healthy a team is, how healthy they aren't, it could eliminate a lot of the insider knowledge that may be leaked to people and it may affect gambling. In other words, the Alabama head baseball coach, you know, knew things about the upcoming game, told betters, bettors about it because nobody follows college baseball and nobody knows that, you know, an LSU starter on a Saturday afternoon might not be, starting as he's slated to start. So if there's insider knowledge like that, it lends the opportunity for players, trainers, assistants, boosters in the know to make wagers and to leak information to friends and family, partners, about how they should wager. All of that could be fixed theoretically by releasing a lot of this information like the NFL does. You know, the NFL comes out with an official injury report, I think on Wednesdays, Tuesdays or Wednesdays maybe, uh, for, for the upcoming week. And then a final injury report, I think it's 11 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, so, you know, there's transparency there. There's uniformity there. So Saban's asked about that on the second half of this. But on the first half, he's asked about the gambling aspect of it. Here's Nick Saban at the 2023 SEC coaches meetings on Tuesday. Uh, But I think, you know, one of the more difficult things is when you make things legal and all of a sudden there's so many, so much more access to people are gambling and don't even know they're gambling on some of these social media things that I don't even know how to operate or run or ever been involved with. So I think you have to be more um, diligent about how you approach it with players so that they understand the consequences of even some of the slightest things, you know, that they may, 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 may do when it comes to, to gambling. There's a lot of things that we need to educate players on so that they don't get in trouble, uh, as well as staff. And I think it's all very, very important. And every time these things come up, we try to make the adaptations that we need to make so that uh, we anticipate what could happen and, and try to avoid it. You know, my dad used to always say, it's a lot easier to close the barn door before the horse gets out. And I've 
always kind of tried to live with that message. Phil, do you think that a, a, an availability report or some sort of transparency on rosters would mitigate some of the things that are happening, some of the insiderish information that student athletes or other support personnel may have access to? Would you be in favor of that? Standardized? Mm, never really thought about it. Most of the things they do in the NFL, because they invest a significant amount of money in their business, is really to protect their business. And most of those things are usually well thought out and are advantageous to protect the game, all right, which, which is what I think, you know, all these things that we're talking about now basically is, would be enforced to do, would be to protect the game and the players that play the game. Yeah, so Saban says he's never really thought about it. My ass. He has thought about it. He doesn't want to release the information, just like Kirby doesn't want to release information. Um, and the thing, the thing that Saban says about what his dad told him, it's easier to keep the horse in the barn before you let it out or something like that. Like, miss me with that, Nikki. Miss me with that, Nikki Saban. This was coming, and you knew it. Okay? I mean, everyone knew this was coming. The NIL stuff, we knew was coming. The legalization of sports gambling state by state was coming. We all knew it, including himself. So for him to blame it on, you know, letting the horse out of the barn, you know, just maybe have, maybe have a better stable. You know what I mean? The horse leaving the barn doesn't mean the horse has to run free down the highway unless they're in Tuscaloosa, which, in which case that would be encouraged, I'm sure. A lot of those people down there in Tuscaloosa probably are riding horses. Bunch of country bumpkins. Love SEC coaches meetings. Love them. All right, local sports, quickly, then HGP, CDOTW, and then we'll get you guys out of here. Uh, Kevin Farmer retired, resigned at BC as the head baseball coach over there. A really remarkable career for Kevin Farmer. I think, you know, to use this term modern era, he's the best baseball coach to coach in Savannah uh, in my lifetime, for sure, in the last 30 years, just as far as winning goes. Uh, and I don't know that there's a lot of close seconds. Carl Carter at Savannah Christian certainly would have, you know, would have a resume that's right up there with Kevin Farmer's. Uh, Farmer racked up 276 wins in 11 years at BC. Uh, he had 517 wins in 24 years as a head coach. Four state titles, two at Calvary, two at BC. Uh, the ones at Calvary – 05-07. And then in 06, they came in second place. So almost with a three-peat there. BC won in 20, let's see, BC won in 2014 and 2018. They also finished second in 2021. Uh, COVID season in 2020. A lot of people think that they were front runners to be a state champion in that year. So Kevin Farmer leaves a legacy behind and a void behind at Benedictine. 
that I'm very curious to see how it's filled. You would have to think it would be Kyle Farmer, his younger brother, and an assistant coach there at BC for a while now. But in a press release released by the school last Thursday, there was no mention of Kyle. There was no mention of a timeline for them finding the next head coach. It was all about Kevin Farmer, as it should be. And I've long said, like we've seen before, that Savannah Christian, Savannah Country Day, to name a few schools, they'll announce the firing or the resignation of a head coach of a sport. And in the same press release, they'll announce the hiring of a new coach. That is weird. You need to let people know that the job's open first. Duh. I mean, you don't have to. But, I mean, that's the normal way to do it. The only difference here is that if Kyle Farmer is the next head coach at BC, there's I can't think of a reason why they wouldn't say that in the same press release and why Kevin and Kyle wouldn't be on board with that. I mean, it would be a nice story. It's not the same thing as letting a coach go and then hiring another coach in the same press release that no one's ever heard of. It's from the same program, within the same dugout, within the same family. Kyle Farmer, unlike Kevin Farmer, not a graduate of Benedictine. I don't know if that matters at all. I, I think Kyle would be considered a BC type of guy at this point. I mean, he's been there long enough. He's certainly had success. I mean, he's a teacher. He's not, you know, like, uh, I forget what they call him, like a lay coach or whatever. Like, I mean, there's nothing really preventing him from becoming that head coach for BC if he wants the job. If he doesn't want the job, I could see him staying there. If he wants the job and they and they hire someone else, especially someone else outside of the BC quote-unquote family, I can't imagine that Kyle Farmer would stay. It, how weird would that look if he stayed and coached under, uh, you know, a coach that came from, from DeKalb County or something, you know? It would be weird, especially if he wanted the job. That guy who they chose would theoretically have been chosen over Kyle, who I believe is 34. He's either 33 or 34 years old. Um, and Kevin, his older brother, I mean, Kevin Farmer is only 49. That guy got 517 wins before the age of 50. That's wild. Wild. So very interested to see. What's going on over at BC? You can check out. I wrote a story about that on ConnectSavannah.com. ConnectSavannah.com. I have a story about that. Got a story about a local football camp coming up, courtesy of Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb hosting a local football camp um, this Saturday. Uh, it's a paid camp, but ages 6 to 16, I believe. Uh, you can check that story out as well on ConnectSavannah.com. One more story locally related, also on ConnectSavannah.com. The High School Hoops Summer League starts next week, next Monday, June 5th. It'll be every Monday and Wednesday, six games a night. Um, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, I believe, are the three time slots. And they'll play that side court action. So there'll be two games simultaneously at once during every one of those slots. So six games a night. 
uh, 12 games a week for the month of June over at Savannah High. $3 admission. Um, you can check out every team that's playing in that league this June. Uh, you can check that out in the story, and, and we list all of that uh, right there on connectsavannah.com. All right, now the HGP CDOTW, the Hawker Podcast Celebrity Death of the Week. Rest in peace, the queen of rock and roll, Mrs. Tina Turner. May 24th, Tina Turner died at the age of 83. Uh, she famously asked, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to, do, got to do with it? She died on May 24th in Switzerland. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. She was a Swiss citizen. There's probably a backstory there worth looking up. Your boy did not look it up. All she did was write down that Mrs. Tina Turner is the winner. She won Grammys. That song, What's Love Got to Do With It, reached number one on the Billboard Top 100. And now, her perhaps last award ever, definitely her most important award ever, Mrs. Tina Turner wins Hot Grift Podcast Celebrity Death of the Week. All right, let's get out of here until episode 162. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals.
The Lady and Sons Restaurant, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast, 102 West Congress Street. Lady and Sons, you guys probably know the name, Paula Dean, Jamie Dean. Uh, they have their restaurant, obviously, at 102 West Congress Street, but then the store right next door, literally right next door to the restaurant, also on Congress Street, open seven days a week, 11 to 9. Monday through Thursday, and then 11 to 10 on Friday and Saturdays. 912-233-2600. 912-233-2600 is the number for Lady and Sons. Find them on Facebook and ladyandsons.com. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA, is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282.